0: Amen. So, I want to thank you all for coming tonight. When I finished the Ephesians study last fall, Pastor Tom really honored me because on the last night he said, what are you teaching next? And that just blessed me so much. And, and I spent some time praying about it and I wanted to do Colossians because I could teach Paul's letters until the cows come home. I could teach the epistles, the letters to Timothy. I've taught a couple summers worth of Hebrews back in the cafe, I could just teach Paul forever because he resonates with me. But I looked at Colossians and it looked too much like Ephesians and I felt like I wasn't gonna learn anything and and I wanna grow, I do this, it's selfish, I do it for me first, I wanna grow and learn. And so I felt like God was saying, John. And I said, Lord, I will teach anything but the four gospels. I'll even teach Revelation. I'll even teach Galatians with all that stuff about law, but not John. And the reason was, because I know in the Gospels, there are all these demonstrations of Jesus' amazing faith. And then he says, you'll speak to the mountain and it'll move. And just to be honest, there are areas where I struggle in my faith. And really the faith for the miraculous, that is an area where I struggle. There are other areas where I don't struggle. So it's not that I have zero faith, it's just I struggle in that area because of something that happened. So finally, I obeyed. And I said, okay, God, I'll teach John. And it has been such a delight. Why do we need to, to learn about Jesus? I mean, I could teach you forever about you were chosen and all the, how rich we are in Christ. But there was a women's conference I went to a few years ago. And at that conference, they talked about Jesus. All the speakers got up and talked about um, an episode, um, an interaction that Jesus had with someone. And it was so refreshing just to learn the nature and character of Jesus. I needed that so much. The book of John is different from the other gospels and you're going to be able to walk away tonight and tell someone how, but it records who Jesus is. It reveals who Jesus is through what he did. I'm trying something new tonight. I'm trying to teach from my iPad and not my nose. so have a little bit of grace with me, please. It's not a history book about what Jesus did step by step, even though it has some of that It's not like Luke's historical record, uh, you know, the very detailed Dr. Luke. But it's a biography of Jesus as revealed by his own actions and mostly by his interactions with people, his long discourses, they call it. Those long conversations, they call them discourses. His conversations, his discourses. So I made this little slide. Yay. So we're gonna look at the authorized biography of Jesus by John the Beloved, as opposed to the chronological history of Jesus by Dr. Luke. There's gonna be a difference. Because imagine if you had a biography written by one of your best friends. I went to the library and picked up a biography of John F. Kennedy written by Barbara Leeming. And it probably tells He was born here, he he went to school here, he got married here, he entered, entered politics here. But imagine if it was written by his wife. It would say, Jack was this and Jack was that. Just like if Brian wrote a biography about me, he would say, Lisa's very silly. It would be a very thick biography, it says, but it wouldn't be so much she was born here and she studied this and she went there and then she did that. It would be what I'm like. Lisa is silly and you'll see, sometimes I struggle with how much of my Lisa-ness I can let you see when I'm on the stage. You're going to see it's going to eke out a little bit tonight, but I'm very silly and my joy level is usually pretty high, which causes the silliness to come out but it would be more about what they're like on the inside as opposed to just what they did and John was a close friend of Jesus and so we're gonna see he even knew Jesus's thoughts he was that close Jesus had said this is what I know to his friend so John is the authorized biography of Jesus written by someone close to him And the emphasis is on Jesus being the son of God who came from God, who was sent by God. So we're studying a person, not just a book. That's why we call this the real Jesus Bible study. We want to give you the real Jesus in our time together. And as I said on Sunday, if I studied a passage and it didn't tell me anything about Jesus, it was just some arguments by the Pharisees, I just went to the next one. And you'll find that we're not gonna, we're gonna try not to go really deep into every verse that preceded the passage, the context, the background. We're gonna try to get to the meat of the story and jump right in. And sometimes that's hard. So let me go over the topics so you'll know what we'll be studying. So tonight is background. We're gonna learn who was John, when was it written, who was it written to, what's the theme, what's the purpose, we're gonna start off with that. And then we're going to jump into John chapter 1, which is really the first part is the identity of Jesus. And the next week, Pastor Tom's going to cover Jesus the Messiah. And that's looking some at um, John the Baptist interaction with Jesus. A couple other interactions through the book of John. We'll have Jesus the giver. And that's all the things Jesus gives to us besides eternal life. There's a whole lot more. Jesus, the miracle worker, Pastor Tom's going to teach that because he's got faith for the miraculous more so than me. So I'm putting that into his capable hands. Those are the seven signs. Jesus, the human. This was everywhere when I studied and it showed Jesus felt an emotion. It really says in the NASB, Jesus was troubled. It really says that. He wept. He grieved. It's all in the book. He, he needed space. I think he was a little bit of an introvert like me. There were lots of times he had to get away and get alone. There's Jesus in his own words. These are those seven I am statements that we know come from the book of John Jesus, the son of God, which again, this was very important in this book that we understand. And and that's easy for us to to say, yeah, I believe it. But we're going to look at the reason John wrote this, which was so you would believe this. And then Jesus, the lamb of God, which will be um, the last days that Jesus walked on the earth, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and then his soon return as our Lord and King. So those are our topics, and that should be on your handout. If you don't have a handout, I think Pastor Tom has some more up here if you came in. Just raise your hand if you still need a handout. Anyone? I did try to put more of the cross-references. I think it was Marlene that gave me that feedback on Ephesians, that it would be helpful to have the cross-references. So I did try to do a little bit more of that for you in this study. You're welcome. I'm trying. I'm growing. So John is not a complete biography. You know, if Brian wrote a book about me, he probably wouldn't tell you the really bad stories. You know, he wouldn't tell you the the really bad stories, but he would be selective in what he wanted to to share with you who I was as a person. Now, not that Jesus had any bad stories. (laughs) I mean, he did cleanse the temple. But John chooses the stories that he uses for a reason. He was selective But he was persuasive, and John is very different from the other Gospels. So I do want to point out the commentaries that I use, just so I won't lose you when I mention them. There's the Zondervan or the NIV Bible commentary. There's Arthur Pink, who's very deep, but I love him. I mean, some of my great revelations come when I'm reading these commentaries. Arthur Pink so I'll say the pink commentary or pink says, and then Warren Weersby. this is be alive. And I'll say Weersby said, so these are some very um, sound commentaries. Some of them really stretch my brain. Well, they all really stretch my brain. So those are the commentaries that I'll use. So the Zondervan NIV commentary says, Because of its apologetic purpose, the book of John only uses those episodes that are going to really demonstrate Jesus is the Son sent from God. You're going to hear me say that over and over tonight. And so effectively, John, when he set out to write this book, he's saying you should believe Jesus is the Son of God for these reasons. And then he writes what's 21 chapters in our Bibles. So the key verse, I love when I'm studying, let's see. I love when I'm studying a book and it's very clear when the author says, this is why I wrote this. And this should be on your handout. John 20, 30 through 31. So it's at the end of the book of John. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these. I love that. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So these signs, these specific seven signs were written so that we would believe and have life. So I broke this down just a little bit because part of the way I study is, is I try to take some of the grammar and extraneous words out of the way and just make it really simple for my brain to understand. So his purpose was A, so that you may believe, and two things he wants you to believe. Jesus is the Christ, and next week, Pastor Tom will go into what does the word Jesus mean? What does Christ mean? You'll see that's um, translated Messiah in other versions. And he's the son of God. Two things he wants us to believe. And then it says in that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John wants us to believe. And as a result of our believing, we will have life. So it made me wonder, well, how would believing give life? And that term life is a little nebulous there. You know, what what is life? We're going to look at that. But we will discover that in our study. And this word, believe, it's one of the key words. At the end of this short lesson, I'll give you the key words in the book of John. And believe is one of the key words. It was used seven times in Matthew, 11 times in Mark, five times in Luke, 52 times in John, the word believe. 70% of those are red letter. Jesus saying, believe. So I did what a very nerdy Bible student would do. And I printed out every verse, all 52 of those verses with the word believe in it. And here they are, it says believe, study. It's got which Greek word it is, what it means. And then I started making a list. I went one by one, what is he saying that he wants us to believe? And I tallied, I tallied. And then I chose the top ones. What's the big picture? And here's the big picture. John wants us to believe Jesus is the Messiah, God's Savior. Pretty clear. Jesus originated or came from God. It's very clear. Came from God. Jesus was sent. And that sounds like it's saying the same thing. But that word sent is the Greek word apostelos. I hope I said that correctly. It means to be sent. He was sent from the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. Lastly, Jesus is is God. That's the big picture. I know we're stretching our brains already. Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is God. Both are true. That is what John wants us to believe. The pink commentary says, The theme of John's gospel is the deity, of the Savior. Here, as nowhere else in Scripture, the Godhead of Christ is presented very fully to our view. Zondervan says that the one purpose of the Gospel of John is to convince the reader that Jesus was supernatural. That word supernatural, super means above, natural is our nature. He was above our nature in his origin, in his power, and in his goals. So why is this so important? I shared this slide on Sunday. Jesus said, I believe he was speaking to Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Now often in the Bible, the word God refers to the Father. And for me, for most of my life, when I say, when I say God, I'm talking to the Father, okay? So yes, God is the Father but God is also the third person in the Trinity because God is three in one. So I want to just ask for some grace with the semantics because we're going to talk about things that our finite minds have trouble understanding because they're above our nature. <laughs> they're supernatural. And, and I don't even get it half the time. It stretches my brain, but I did want to show you a prop got a prop and a slide to help us see this a little bit what is this it's a triangle it is a rack Amazon about $6 it's a rack but it's a triangle but what part of this triangle is this the triangle has three what sides this is a side one triangle but three sides in my Bible God the Father is yellow when I color. God the Son is red because he spilt his blood. God the Holy Spirit is purple. So one, God, the Godhead, the Trinity, but three expressions. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Wow. Wow. Because we often think of the Father as being the God of wrath from the Old Testament, the God of righteousness and holiness and truth. And Jesus is the compassionate one. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That stretches my brain. So I also did a slide so we can also see this. This is the Godhead, the Trinity. It's one triangle, it's God. But it has three sides, three distinct components God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Am I hurting your brains yet? They're different, but they're the same. So when you think about it, these stories about Jesus, he's saying, if you've seen me and how I act and how I interact and what I do, you've seen the Father. And so really what we're gonna be doing is does anyone like photography? Sometimes it's a matter of your perspective. And in this study, we're gonna look at the perspective of the Godhead through the lens of Jesus. We're gonna look through a ruby-colored lens to see what God the Father is like, and what the three in one is like. And I just love, see, I'm already getting excited. Later, we're gonna learn that, that it's says Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father. Wow, that means Holy Spirit. He came from the Father. That means He's like the Father. His nature is the same as the Father. So they really are three in one. Now, I know it's hard to understand and the Bible says, it's a little hard to understand. First Timothy 3.16, not on your handout, Marlene. I ran out of space. I was trying to keep it to four pages. It's not on the slide either. Without, but write it down, First Timothy 3.16. And this is the King James. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. It is a mystery. It is a great mystery. So the theme of John. Zondervan says, believe in the Son who came from the Father. Weersby says, Jesus is the Son of God. If you commit your life to him, you'll have eternal life. I just, I wanted to say I dumbed it down for us, but that doesn't sound very good. I made it simple for us. Jesus is the Christ, believe and live. That's pretty easy. Remember those two things John wanted them to do, believe and by believing have life. Jesus is the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the smeared one, the anointed one, believe and live. And again, Pastor Tom will cover what all those names mean next week. Stay. Stay, little son. So when was the book of John written? Most conservative scholars believe it was about AD 85 to 90. So Jesus had been resurrected for about 30, excuse me, I didn't do my math right, 60 years. So think about someone you know. John is an old man at this point. He's probably about 90 years old. But he's still clearly in possession of his memory because he's able to write all of these things down. And they didn't know what it meant at that point, but later they understood. And so he's able to write all of these things because he's in possession of his memory. I think of how sharp Miss Marion is. Half the time I can't get my words to come out straight. And she's... She's as sharp as a tack. She's doing well. So it's 20 years after even Paul's death. So a large portion of the New Testament, the majority of it, has been written. The three Gospels have been written. And I think three is a nice number, like in decorating and landscaping. It's a really nice number. And so I wondered what more needed to be, be said about the nature of God through that lens of Jesus that we needed to know. Why did we need a fourth gospel? What more needed to be said? So it was written to address a lot of false teaching that basically said Jesus was just a human, but that when he was baptized, he was possessed by a Christ spirit. He was not the Son of God. So you can see why John is saying Jesus is the Christ, he is the promised Messiah. He's the anointed one. So the book was to prove the deity of Jesus. And this is called, I don't know if I'm even saying it correctly, high Christology. Have you ever heard that word before? I found it. A lot of these big words that I use, I don't know them. I Google them and learn what they mean. High Christology. It means that the deity of Jesus is very prominent in this book, especially as opposed to the other three gospels. High Christology. Scholars believe that the recipients of John, because John explains a lot of the Jewish terms and the locations in Palestine, the recipients were probably a Gentile church outside of Palestine, probably Jews as well, but most likely Gentiles, and I'm going to skip So let's look at who was John. So we've looked at when it was written, its purpose, its theme, who was it written to, but let's look at who was John because again, my husband would write a biography about me very differently than say my brother. So we want to know a little bit about the author so we can understand his perspective. So this is on your handout and your slide. Okay, let's see, yay, all right. I really have fun making my slides. So who was John? He was one of the first disciples and he was the one whom Jesus loved. That's John 27. That's listed on your handout. And it made me wonder, you know, think about how it feels to be truly loved. Think about those friends who know who you are and love you anyway right my best friend who was here on a sunday she's known me pre-jesus since i was 18 almost 30 years she loves me anyway she'll text me and she'll say i choose you she loves me and imagine how john wrote about jesus from that security of love imagine how that would affect his perspective as an author John 13, 25 says he was the one who had leaned back on his breast at the supper. To me, that means John is an intimate friend because you just don't lean on anybody. And I'll tell you a little story to illustrate that. I've said before that I don't always like to hug and please don't never hug me. But what that means is my skin can get a little defensive. And if you just stay there too long, one of those really long hugs, Maybe you lay on me a little bit too. After a while, my skin will go, it's been a long time, it's been a long time. And my skin will start to crawl. And after a while, I might even start, you know, my heart heart rate will increase a little bit because my skin, it just struggles with that prolonged. I like to, to, when my daughter was little during reading time, they would always, homeschooling, they would lay on me and I'd have to say, sit up, please. (laughs) Just sit up and I would just touch them on my own terms because my skin can crawl. So when I was in 10th grade in a history class, I was sitting next to my best friend And something was on my skin, on my face, and her hand shook a little bit. And so she came up and she touched my face and I hauled off and slapped the girl. It was just like when a dog, if you step on them, they snap. It was just a defensive reaction of my skin saying, you're in my space. You didn't ask. So honey, what do you say if there's something on my face? Yeah, they say you've got something on your face or they'll say, I'm going to touch you (laughs) because it's just a reaction my body had. You don't just lean on anybody at the Last Supper unless they're your friend, unless you've developed some type of intimacy. He was an intimate friend. He was part of Jesus' inner circle. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was the three, Peter, James, and John. They were up there together. He was so close to Jesus that he knew Jesus' thoughts. John 6, 64. John writes, For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray them. So Jesus told his friends, I know who's going to betray me. I know who won't believe. John knew his thoughts. John was the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, and James and John were called the sons of thunder. In Mark 317, it says he gave them the name Vaanires. I went to Google and said, How do you pronounce this? Vaanires. It was sons of thunder. In the Greek, this word means it denotes a fiery and destructive zeal that may have been likened to a thunderstorm. So does anybody like Marvel? Any Avengers fans out there? Anyone, okay, just a couple. I was watching Thor Ragnarok when I was making these slides and it made me think of Thor, our god of thunder, even though we don't believe in those gods, but he was fiery like Thor. In the Hebrew, okay, so let's look at what the name John means. What does it mean? In the Greek, it's Johannes. This is on your handout. In the Hebrew, it's Yohanan. And it's of a Hebrew origin. So even though it's translated John in the Greek New Testament, its origin was Hebrew. And it means Yahweh is gracious or Jehovah is a gracious giver. So it's literally Yah and Hanan, God and grace. And I just love that the author, that Holy Spirit would choose to write that Jesus was full of grace was called God's grace. His name meant God is gracious. God is a gracious giver. John is named after Jesus, grace and truth. And it also made me wonder if John was perhaps a gift to Jesus. You know, you have those friends that are a gift to you. The friends who know who you are, who know what you're about, who know your story, who know your calling, who know where you're going. And as I said before, that love you anyway. And John was this type of gift to Jesus. So what else do we know about John? We know he's a fisherman. We uh, dusted off the fishing rod from our garage. He's a fisherman. He was called while fishing. And we know at the end of Jesus' life that Jesus committed his mother, Mary, to him. You don't commit your mother, her care, to just anybody. So you see, this is a close, intimate friend. So let's take just a minute and talk about The book of John compared to the other Gospels. The other Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C. And it's from the Latin word synopsis. The prefix syn, S-Y-N, means together. Opsis is sight, like we get our word optic. So it was a seeing together. Because these first three Gospels have many of the same stories and the same sequence and even identical wording. So these three authors saw together. They describe the events in Jesus' life from a similar perspective or point of view. John's content is very different. So Matthew was written to, G- to the Jews, and its emphasis was Jesus as king. Jesus was the son of David. He fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. He was the king of the Jews. Mark wrote to the busy Romans, presenting Jesus as the servant. Look at that. I gave you the answers. They're right there. I gave you all the answers up front. Jesus as the servant. It brings out the characteristics of how Jesus served others and the manner in which he served. Luke wrote to the Gentiles presenting the sympathetic son of man. It's his humanity. It's the humanity of the Savior and presents Jesus as the perfect man as opposed to sinful men. Jesus as the son of man. And John wrote to mostly Gentiles and Jews, but he presents Jesus as the Son of God. John emphasizes Jesus' divinity more than any of the other writers. And the first 12 chapters of the book of John are all about presenting Jesus as the Son of God, the first 12 chapters. So next, I have another comparison chart, and I just want to acknowledge this is a bad slide. (laughs) I know that the words are small and you can't read it, but that's why I put it in your handout So you can take this home. I'm not going to go over all of this with you, but I'm going to pull out just a few things. First of all, the synoptic gospels are written from the third person and they're descriptive. They describe the events. But John is reflective because John knew the meaning behind certain things that Jesus said. And so he would tell us the meaning because at the time they may not have understood. But 60 years later, They understood. So he's reflective. There's a whole lot of commentary in the book of John. Whereas the other gospels, there's not as much commentary. The other gospels have more parables. I don't think there's any parables in the book of John. It's more these discourses, these conversations. Because what would happen is there would be a miracle that John would record. And then he'd record the discussion, the discourse, the conversation. For example... The feeding of the 4,000 is in all four Gospels, the miracle. But only John includes the discourse where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. So in John, you'll see miracle and interpretation. You'll see these discourses that follow that explain the meaning of the miracle. What a great teaching point. I'm the bread of life. So the book of John consists of about 90% new information, not found in the other gospels, 90% new information. So it made me wonder, you know, why is John so different? And why was it things arranged differently? and, And why was it so different? So, first of all, who was the true author of the book of John? John, but the true author, is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the true author. Holy Spirit wrote about Jesus through a man named John. And Holy Spirit can write three books similarly, but decide we need to have one with a different perspective. 2 Peter 1:20 20 20-21 says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, but it was men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. So Holy Spirit wrote the book of John. Holy Spirit chose the seven I am statements, the seven signs, the seven feasts, the seven discourses. All of the sevens, Holy Spirit chose. He used, John uses the material in a different way and he shaped it for a different purpose. So keywords in the book of John. Now we're not gonna go line upon line. It's not gonna be John 1 this week and John two next week and John three. I do encourage you to read the book in its entirety. I encourage you to do that. If you do that, these are your key words. These are words that if you're willing to color in your Bible or mark your keywords, these are the words you want to mark: life, love, believe. Abide, light, darkness, word, glorify, witness, and truth. So these are the things that you'll see over and over again. And then as I said, the number seven is also very prominent. We'll see that quite a lot. Okay, so let's look at the chapter divisions. So the first six chapters are called opportunity This is basically where Jesus is rising in his popularity, if you'll say. (laughs) But he really blows it at the end of John 6. Because at this point he says, he's talking about the bread of life, he's the bread of life, but he says about verse 53, unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you won't have life in yourself. And again, he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and and I in them. So after this, many of the disciples even started falling away. And then after that, I highlighted every part where it said that the Pharisees were trying to kill him. The Pharisees were seeking a way to trap him. The Pharisees were trying to get Jesus. So opposition is chapter 7 through 12. Jesus was opposed in his ministry. And then outcome is chapters 13 through 21. He really did. Once he said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, they said, this is a difficult statement. That's what they said. This is difficult. They didn't didn't get it, which I don't think I would have gotten it either at that point. He was referring to his death and to communion. That was hard. So let's jump in and look at John chapter 1. And so i always say at the beginning of my bible studies i do teach out of the new american standard when pastor tom teaches he'll be teaching out of the nlt so we're going to switch up on you in just a little and i do kind of the key ways that i study the bible is using the precept method which is a line line upon line method by k arthur i do a lot of word studies so before i even look at the commentaries i do word studies i look at cross references i make lists i do what i call the five W's in an H who what when how why where (laughs) I think that was it (laughs) yeah I came close hopefully sometimes on the stage I forget them who what when how why where that's it so I do all of that before I even go to the commentaries because I want to know what the word says for myself before I learn what mr. pink thinks it says or mr. Wearsby or mr. Zondervan so that is how I study so here's what you're gonna find I love it when it works. Here's what you're gonna find in about the first 18 verses of Jesus. And this is my emoji Jesus that I really love and I've been texting to my daughter and having the most fun with. You can find lots of things on Canva. Jesus the word, Jesus the I am, Jesus the creator, the life giver, the word made flesh, The abundance giver, the grace giver, we covered a lot of that on Sunday, manifestation of grace and truth, explainer of God. So what we're going to do, if you'll turn with me to John 1, and we're going to read some select verses, because what I want to do tonight is look more at the identity of Jesus, and next week, Pastor Tom is going to look more at John the Baptist and Jesus being the Lamb of God. So, if it's about John the Baptist, I'm not really gonna touch it tonight. John 1, verse one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse two, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Skip to verse nine. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Skipping to fourteen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth for his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth were realized through jesus christ and those last three verses that's what i taught on sunday so if you missed it you can find that on the Uh, Facebook page, Global River Church, or Google Global River Church YouTube, and you can find it there as well, the live stream video. Verse 18, skip all the way down there. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So let's jump into Jesus, the word. So verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs> my head hurts already. <laughs> he was in the beginning with God. Again, these are hard things to understand, that the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hurts my head. We receive these things by faith. So much of this, we just receive by faith. It's a mystery. So, what is the word word? In this, in this um, context, this is the word logos. You'll see it's used three times in that first verse. It's an important word. And in general, in scripture, the Greek word logos refers to the written word of God. And, but then another word that's used for word in the Greek is the word rhema which is more of a specific word of God spoken to a person about a particular situation. So here, the word word refers to Jesus. A cross-reference would be Hebrews four twelve, For the word, which is the logos here, of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of joint and marrow, soul and spirit, I mixed those up, didn't I? That's what happens when I try to say something from memory. God humbles me. It it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that describes the logos, the written word of God, the Bible. And it also describes Jesus at the same time. He was the word. Pink says Jesus was the word, the logo. So here the word is referring to the second person, the second person of the Trinity, This is Jesus. So Jesus is also the I am. You see, the Gospel of John, it opens differently than those other Gospels. We don't see a long genealogy. John jumps right in. Jesus was God. Jesus was with God. He was sent from God. He was God. He's not presented as the son of David or the son of man, but as the son of God. So it's really clear. There we go. Oh, I missed that. I'm still trying to move things, move between two things. So Jesus is God. Now we don't have time to do a complete study about this, but I'm gonna give you a few cross references and I encourage you to do that at home. We did it in our um, Hebrews Bible study a couple summers ago. So first of all, Jesus claimed to be Yahweh, the great I am. So in Exodus 3, 13 through 14, in the Old Testament, it says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What is God's name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. In John 8, 58, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus claimed to be the I am, to be God. Hebrews 1, 3, a, the first part. This is in a long, kind of complicated passage about Jesus. So I'm just going to give you this snippet. He's the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature. This is on the cross reference, should be on your handout, just the reference. So I want to tell you what that term exact representation means it's an engraving, it's an exact copy. It's the same thing. It's something that's stamped. King James says Jesus is the express image of his or God's person. So Jesus is the exact copy of God's nature or substance. What can be said of the Father God can be said of Jesus. And during that Bible study, I used this prop, and it's still a good one. This is a stepping stone that hangs on my front porch. And there was a machine somewhere that had a stamp that was stamped into this. And then to make the same st- stepping stone, because they don't just make one, they make a bunch. They stamp it again, stamp the next one, and then stamp the next one. The same stamp that was used to make God was used to make Jesus. He's the exact representation. He's the engraving. He's the exact image of God. Now I know that stretches our brains, but it's what scripture says. So. Go study it for yourself. Colossians 1.15 is another cross-reference. He, it's referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So in John 1, it says the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was both. Now, a neat closing thought, something I found in the NIV commentary, it says the word was with God. It says that twice in those first two verses. It says with God can be rendered face to face. And I always think of Jesus being at God's right hand, but we're going to learn he was also in his bosom, in the front of, of the Father God. But I liked that image of face to face. Jesus the Son and God the Father were face to face. I don't know if that blesses you, but I like to see that picture of intimacy between the two of them. So let's talk about Jesus, the creator. I love to create. I love to create with words. I love to create graphics, note cards, garden art. I love to create mosaics, stepping stones. I just love to create. And that's because I'm in the image of God, who's a creator. He's creative. That's another message for you. But we're in God's image. And we're creative. And this is something that I created. I took broken pieces of glass, put them all together, put a light in it. So it's something that I made by hand. Jesus is also a creator. And I'm getting ready to stretch our brains, our finite minds again. Jesus was the creator of everything. He wasn't created, but he was the creator. John 1, 3 says all things can you repeat that all things not just some things or a few things just a little bit of things all things and i like how pastors say the word all in the greek it means all it means all all things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being so if you came into being you came through jesus Colossians 1.16, which is on your handout. Again, okay, here's a different author. For by him, all things were created. And then Paul explains, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible, invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. But then you may say, well, I thought God made me. Well, again, Yes, God made you. But this was the, it was through this end. It was through Jesus. So there are three in one, but scripture says Jesus made all things. So study that and and figure it out. It hurts my brain. But Jesus is the creator. The expression of God that created was God the Son. Jesus Christ. So let's look at John 1, 4, which is on your handout. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we've said that this word life is a key word in the book of John. So what does it mean? I mean, it's a nebulous term. For us, life is being alive as a human. In the Greek, it's the word Zoe, we would spell it Zoe, Z-O-E, Zoe. It's the state of someone who's possessed of vitality or is animate. The Vines Dictionary, which is another resource I use, says it's the absolute fullness of life, not just life, but the fullness of life. Pink says that that it encompasses all types of life, physical life, spiritual life, eternal life so i want us to think about what are the essentials for life so i brought a plant my sister-in-law was here this past weekend and she works at a garden center she brought me a plant generally indoor plants at my home are doomed i I kill indoor plants but this one has only been in my possession for six days so it's still alive (laughs) so there are some essentials for life And they're light, plants need light, they need sunlight. I should send these to you, Judy. You could probably (laughs) help it live. Light, they need air, they need water, and they need food. They need fertilizer. So let's look and see how Jesus was the source of life. So Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, 12. That should be on your handout, the cross reference. Air. Jesus breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. It was air. Water. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Food. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. That's John 6 35. So, these essentials for life, Jesus was all of those things and more. He gives life. A couple other cross references. And I really liked this one because that cup that I think tea or coffee is being poured into, it says Zoe life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give us abundant life. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. So again, the theme, believe and live. We'll have life if we believe in Jesus. So, application. How is Jesus life to you? This is on your handout so you can take it home and just sit with God, talk about it. Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? Are you depending on the Holy Spirit? Are you being led by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit? so that you can have air. And really, when Jesus talked about that living water flowing out of them, that was a reference also to Holy Spirit. So are you being filled with Holy Spirit? And is Holy Spirit coming out of you and splashing on those around you, the fruit of the Spirit? Are you being filled with the Spirit? And are you finding sustenance? When we study... um, Jesus, the bread of life and the feeding of the 5,000, it says they ate and they were satisfied. It says that over and over, they ate and they were satisfied. Are we satisfied by Jesus? Or are we going to other things to sustain us and satisfy us? Those things won't ever satisfy. So those are some, some ways you can ask yourself, do I have life? And we're going to look a little bit more at what life means. But how is Jesus' life to you? Okay, John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw its glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I found this quote by Arthur Pink, and I put it on your handout, and I just thought it was so beautiful. The infinite became finite. The invisible became tangible. The transcendent became imminent. That which was far off drew nigh. He became what he was not previously. He did not cease to be God, but he became man. So, as a man, Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. That's in Hebrews 7. He was a real man. He took on human nature. And the two natures of Jesus as human, like us, but yet still God, that's again one of those mysteries that we can't understand. God became man. God didn't just dwell with man, like those false teachers said, God didn't just alight on Jesus when he was baptized, but God became man. I'm going to skip. If you'll just write down Philippians 2, 6, and 7 and look at that later. But that's about how Jesus humbled himself and was made in the likeness of a man and humbled himself again on the cross. So John 1:14 and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Well, I've already read that. Full of grace and truth. So that's what we covered on Sunday. John 1, For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. So I did want to give you a couple more cross-references on that. Colossians 2, 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And Paul's prayer that I prayed at the beginning goes on to say to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So this term fullness, again, is another term that's hard to explain. But when I think about what is the fullness of God, what is the fullness of deity? Well, what are the things that make up God? What do we know that God is made of? And I just did a little brainstorming. Holy Spirit, life, grace, truth, the Word, light, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit. is from that fullness that we have all received and grace upon grace. From His fullness we have received. Jesus wants us, Jesus wants to fill us up. And in my life, when I think of am I receiving from his fullness, am I walking in light and in life, the best way I can understand it is, or explain it, is just when I really feel his presence. When I go to the mountains, I always put pictures of me sitting on a front porch somewhere in a rocking chair with some coffee. I am in the presence of Jesus. You get me up to that elevation, I just walk outside and boom, there I am. That's really where I can feel God's presence because all the distractions are gone. There's no laundry or phone calls. I turn off, I don't look at email. I'm just with God. And that's where I experience fullness in life. And we all have a place. Sometimes it's the beach or the park, a place where we go and and we wanna find it day to day, but then also have times where we pull away. So very quickly I think I'm going to skip that. I'll just thumb through the slides. We talked about grace on Sunday, that we've received grace upon grace, the kindness of God towards undeserving people. And then, yeah, that's where I want to go. I think I put in your handout the comparison of um, law and grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You can look at that later. But the big thing from that, the takeaway was Grace revealed God's character, his nature. I liked that. So John 1.18. Let me go back one. I don't want you to see that yet. Okay. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So first of all, this word bosom refers in the Greek to just the front of the body between the arms. That's what it refers to just the front of the body in the Strong's Concordance says the bosom of the father speaks of the proximity to the personal intimacy with the enjoyment of the father's love. So just like with God means face to face bosom of the father means they're close. (laughs) They're close. The only begotten God, Jesus who's in the bosom of the father. Okay. So let's do a very quick five W's and an H and we don't have all the answers here. They aren't always all in a verse. But who? Jesus, the only begotten God. Where is he? He's in the bosom of the Father. What, what does he do? He's explained him, the Father. Why? Because no one has seen God, ever. If we had seen God, or people had seen God, they could write about what God is like, but no one has seen God, ever, but Jesus who is in close personal intimacy with the Father, he explains him to us. Couple cross references, John ten thirty, I and the Father are one. John 14, nine, again, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The pink commentary says, Jesus has declared, told out, revealed, unveiled, displayed the Father. But then again, not only was Jesus the revealer of God, he was also God. He's both. He's none other than God himself. So why should we want to know what God is like? Again, I gave that quote on Sunday, Jennifer Rothschild, the more you know God, the more you love God, and if you love God, you'll never leave God. But John seventeen three says this this, listen, this is eternal life, that they may know you. This is Jesus' prayer, John 17. A whole book is a prayer. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life isn't just what we experience, what we die, but it's this. It's what we're doing tonight. It's coming to know God. Jesus explains him to us. So application, How can and I don't think this is on your handout. I'm just going to read it to you. How can you obtain a better, deeper, fuller knowledge of God himself? Some people would say, oh, I just spend time in nature. I don't, I, don't, I don't read my Bible. I just spend time in nature with God. And I do that. But nature can tell you a little bit about God. It can show you his wisdom, his creativity his power, but it doesn't tell you anything about the moral attributes of God. It doesn't tell you about his justice, or his holiness, or his compassion, or his grace. So if you want to know those things about God, you need to go to the Word. There are certain things that you're not going to find in worship or soaking or prayer or nature and that you're only going to find in this pink book of mine, my Bible. If you want to know about God, look at Jesus. Jesus is the word that became flesh. So look at Jesus. We can't understand God apart from knowing Jesus. So I'm going to close in prayer. Oh, Father, we do want to know you. And so much of what we've talked about, God, is beyond our, our limited physical understanding, God, our, as our understanding as humans. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of you, because that's eternal life. That life starts right now. I thank you that we've received from your fullness, that we've received everything that makes up you, God, Holy Spirit and life and grace and truth. We thank you for those gifts that you've given us. We thank you for our time together, and I pray that that these that have gathered would go home encouraged tonight. And I just impart to them a desire to know you, a hunger, a passion, a thirst to know you. More and more deeply in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Um, Just a minute, Kate. Thank you, Lisa. What a good perspective. You know, I just um, one of the things that was hitting me when she was sharing about the um, the origin of the other Gospels and their purpose. If you really think about where John was, all of the others, all the other apostles he had run with who had witnessed, they're all gone. Sixty years ago, Jesus died. Just think about it, Sixty years. A whole new church is coming out. The, the gospel is expanding. John has been imprisoned. He's an old man. And then he writes this scripture. And he's countering some of the heresies that are coming in. So it's a really important reflection, the, the gospel of John, about where John was in the, in the epoch of time where the gospel's about to go viral everywhere, right? And so when you think of that from John's perspective, he's the old man. He's, he's looking back, and he's going, everyone's gone. The prophecy's been fulfilled. Remember when Jesus had denied him, Jesus goes, finds Peter, Peter asked him three times, "Do you love me? Do you love me?" Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus prophesies, "When you were young, you went and did what you wanted. When you're old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go." And he prophesizes Peter's uh, martyrdom. And then Peter asks the question, "Well, what about him?" He says, "Don't you worry about him." Jesus knew he was going to live and be the one that was left. And he writes this much later. It's one of the last books, right? And so. Um, I think it's really important that we grab hold of the fact he's about ready to step from the stage, the last of the original apostles, and he's going to hand this off now to the church. That's why this book is so critical, because in him is life. If you get anything else, all the stories, all the miracles, that's really nice. But if you don't get a hold of the fact that Jesus is your Messiah, there's no life. So a really important study, and the chronology of how God did it is really important if we grab hold of that. So I'm excited as we unpack this going forward. So thank you, Lisa, for the thoroughness of it, different perspective. I love it when the word, you're going to turn it around and diamond pictures come off all differently. So if you haven't received the outline, pick that up. If you haven't picked up the book, pick that one up. We're going to continue as we go on and add to our discipleship. Uh, so you can look at some of the original Uh, First ones we did January, February, March time frame that are in here, some of the foundational principles, and we're just going to keep adding to our discipleship. So God bless you. Thank you. Have a great night. See you next week. You could look through and start reading through John. That would be an awesome study over the next few weeks.